0: Good morning, fellowship. Hope you all are doing well. I'm Rob Sweet. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you. down here at the front after each service and I'd love to say hello and put a name with a face or if we haven't spoken in a while, I'd love to touch base with you. Uh, Before we jump into our text this morning, I wanna lead us in prayer for a family in our body who is deeply grieving this week. Uh, This is the Phillips family. Mike and Julie and their two children, Casey and Connor. Connor passed away this past Tuesday. Uh, Connor was a freshman at Taylor University in Indiana. Uh, he was a diabetic and sometime on Monday his numbers dropped dangerously low and by the time they were able to get to him uh, alone in his dorm room, uh, he had he was unconscious, he didn't have a pulse. He'd been like that for quite some time. They were able to restore a pulse through CPR, but unfortunately, he did not have any brain activity and he passed away the following day on Tuesday. This family is a part of us. They've been a part of our body for a number of years, serve in the learning center. Both of their children have been in our student ministry. Uh, so they are grieving, we are grieving. Our body has experienced a deep loss this week. And we're going to pray for them. And as I was thinking about leading this prayer, I thought, you know, our mission at Fellowship is to become a community of people who follow Jesus with our whole heart and help others do the same. And part of becoming a community of people is to grieve with those who grieve and rejoice with those who rejoice. And this is a time for grief. And this is a time that the Phillips family will deeply need us to lift them up in prayer, to lift them up through encouragement, through presence, just to be with them in this time. That's all we can do is just be with them and assure them of our love and assure them of our prayer for them. So let's go to God together and let me lead us in prayer for this family. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege of knowing the Phillips. And I know that of the people in this room and watching online. Some know them personally, many don't know them personally, but we're all connected to them. They're part of our family of faith. And so our hearts are heavy this morning as we grieve a sudden loss, a tragic loss, unexpected. Something that feels like so much promise for a young life, young man, a freshman in college that we will not get to witness. And so, Father, in light of a tragedy like this, our hands can do nothing but open up to you and and say, we don't understand and yet we trust. Help us to trust you through this and more importantly, not for us, but for this family, for Mike, for Julie, for Casey, for their extended family, for Connor's friends, and, and, and all who are just right now undone with this loss. I pray for your peace. And we pray, Father, that as the scripture says, that peace that passes all understanding, that a peace that doesn't even make sense from a human perspective would just descend upon them in these days and would envelop them. May they find in the midst of this loss, the presence of Jesus Christ with them. And I pray for us that we would be quick to encourage, quick to be present, quick to check in months from now, years from now even, as they continue to recover and walk in a new life without Connor. And we pray for your grace for them In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. Let's open our Bibles now to John chapter four. We are gonna continue the story of Jesus interacting with the Samaritan woman at the well and then the after effect for her whole village. And I just wanna say as you turn there how grateful I am for Robbie Painter and the wonderful job he did last week of teaching this text. If you missed last week, you really want to go back and listen, and you know Lloyd and I say that often, and it 's always true to a degree but i 'll tell you i i was I was kind of blown away with the way Robbie was not only able to teach the text well but the presence that he brought the the way that he was just embodying the text that he was teaching, and I was so grateful for him. And, A guy that's, you know, kind of grown up at fellowship in some ways, or at least spent a a long time here at fellowship. And just to see him using his gifts and ministering to us was a real big blessing. So very grateful for Robbie and grateful for the word that he brought last week. If you think about what he said last week, you know, the woman at the well, the whole story, it's Jesus Christ very intimately and intentionally entering into the story of this woman who was alone. She was outcast. She was rejected. Yes, I'm sure she had made mistakes in her past, but she clearly was also on the receiving end of mistreatment and abuse by many. And so Jesus meets her right where she is. And we can connect to that, all of our stories. You know, there's, there's this part inside of us that longs for God to meet us right where we are. And then you zoom out on that story and you realize, something that I realized as I was studying the text this morning, Jesus' conversation with that Samaritan woman was the first time the word of God had gone to non-Jewish people since the time of Jonah. That's significant. And it's early in Jesus' ministry, and that's not accidental. It's the idea of, of, of Jesus is for the world. He's not just for the Jews. He's for the hated Samaritans. And now the Americans and all the other people now fast forward all the years to get to us. And so the last two sentences of, of Robbie's message really struck me. This is what he said. I pray that God would send us as fountains of living water to those he is putting in our path who are thirsty to know the love of their creator, whether they know it or not. And then he asked this question, who might that be for you? And so this morning's text continues that question. Who might that be for you? Who might it be that God would call you to? What kind of work would God call you to to be a fountain of living water for others? And so uh, the text is going to continue kind of the rest of the story, so to speak. I'm going to walk through the verses fairly quickly because I want to spend most of our time on application this morning. And here's what this will look like. After I read the text, explain the text, like we typically do, I'm going to introduce you to a couple who is in our body right here as a part of our church home, whose lives have been illustrating the principle that the text teaches. And I won't say more than that now, except to say, trust me, when you go home later today, you will be glad that you are here, if for no other reason than you had a chance to hear this story. So let's dive into our text. We're gonna begin in verse 27 of John chapter four. Jesus has just revealed to the woman at the well that he indeed is the Messiah. And then the very next sentence is verse 27, and this is what we find. Just then, his disciples came back. They'd been in the village getting food. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. That was not a custom at that time, and she was a Samaritan woman, uh, especially. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Just a couple quick notes about this passage. I love the detail that the woman left her jar. You know, that's been commented on a lot, different Bible commentators. But it's been commented on a lot because it's so significant. She had come to the well for water and the kind of water that she received was not the kind of water she expected. In fact, what Jesus had told her is once you receive the water that I have for you, you'll, you'll never thirst again. How Appropriate that she leaves her water jar behind. How appropriate that she recognizes there's some need that's being filled in me right now. And the last thing on her mind was the chore that had brought her to the well. So she leaves the water jar behind and she rushes back. And then I love her question here that she asks. You notice she doesn't go back to the village and say, I have found the Christ. She says, can this be the Christ? He told me everything I ever did. Now, I think there are two things going on. I think, number one, she's not yet sure. You know, she's still puzzling this in her mind. She's asking this question. But I think God's using that because a question is often far more effective than a statement. And if she had run back to the village and said, I found the Christ, with her reputation, how many people do you think would have believed her? Instead, she comes back saying, I found something. Could this be the Christ? Can he be the Christ? And her question draws them out. And I love this. And quick application. Many of you, when you come to Christ, you're so excited about the newness of life. The first thing you do is you go to your family and you just, you, you kind of accidentally beat, beat them in with the gospel. Like this is some of y'all's stories, right? It's, like, it's coming from a good place in you, but you're just like, you need to believe in Jesus. You know, you're like shaking their shoulders. That's often not the best approach. (laughs) A good question can go much further often than a statement. So she just says, I found something. Can this be the answer? Can this be the life that we've been waiting for? The one we've been waiting for? Can this be the Christ? And so they come out in search of Jesus. Let's look at verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Like, you know, they, they know Jesus is hungry, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Kind of humorous, you know, the disciples are like, well, is someone sneaking food? Maybe the woman had some food she gave him. Who knows? Jesus is talking about a different kind of hunger. Now, he'd already used the analogy of thirst with the woman. Now with the disciples, what's right before him is hunger. Like they're hungry. That's why they went to eat. He's physically hungry. They came to bring him food to satisfy his hunger. But he's saying just like there's, you know, thirst at the physical level and thirst at the spiritual level, there's hunger at the physical level and there's something more deep That you are hungry for. So, physical hunger is real, but so is this deeper hunger. Now, what kind of hunger is Jesus talking about? You'll you'll, you'll sort of see as the passage goes on, and and his words here are, are a good hint. You and I are hungry for purpose, you and I are hungry for meaning. Jesus has just been living into his purpose the reason he was sent by the Father. So he says, listen, I have this food that that you don't know about yet. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And so Jesus is saying, I'm so satisfied right now. I don't feel hungry because I've been doing the will of him who sent me. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Now he asks this question, or not this question, this, this statement, I have food to eat that you do not know about, You know, I used to read that almost a a little bit like, you know, demeaning them a little bit. Like, well, you know, I'm up here on some higher plane eating spiritual food, and you guys are down here on this lower plane eating physical food. I don't think that's what Jesus is intending. I think he's piquing their curiosity because he gets them thinking, what kind of food is he talking about? And then, here's the brilliance of this passage. Jesus is about to invite them to the table to eat the food that he's been eating. What is the food that Jesus has been eating? To do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And he's about to invite the disciples into the same thing. Let's take a look, 35. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. In verse 38, Jesus is gonna give them their purpose statement. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Okay. These were um, people that were very familiar with agriculture. They grew up on farms. Uh, they, They know there's a time for planting. There's a time for harvesting. There's a time for sowing. There's a time for reaping. And you must do both in order to eat. You see how the analogy is holding here? What Jesus is saying here this deeper food that I'm calling you to is available right now. Look up. And, and many people believe that, that in that moment, since we know the villagers were simultaneously coming out to them, that when Jesus says, Look up, he's pointing to the people flooding out of the village, coming. And, and, and of course, they, what they've been wearing, back then they wore white tunics primarily, especially poor people. They didn't have money to dye their tunics. And so they're wearing these white tunics, they're coming out, and Jesus is saying, look, the fields are white. And you can just picture this scene in your mind. Now, this specifically, and uh, let me re-underline it since my underline uh, went away. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor This specifically refers to the fact that God's been working in the Samaritans' story for hundreds of years. The disciples had nothing to do with it. And and all the while, God was on the move, working in the lives of these people until this day they're ready to hear. And Jesus is saying, "You you didn't have to do all the work before, but trust me, I... You know, Jesus is saying as God, I've been at work in these people's story and I knew today's going to be the day. And so I had a divine encounter with this woman because she was the one that was going to proclaim the gospel to them and now they're coming to us and we get to be the ones to harvest. Jesus is giving them the purpose. I'm sending you, reap what you did not labor. And can I just say, every time you share the good news with someone else, guys, God has already been at work in their lives. He has already brought them through things. He has already done things in them that eventually will connect the dots. You are not responsible for the whole process. You're responsible for proclaiming the good news. Just say, I've found something. Can this be the Christ? And let them come and see Let them come and see Jesus. And Jesus is saying, this is the work that I have called you to. So let's look at what happens next. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. In my mind, this is one of the highlights of Jesus' whole ministry, one of the high points. You think about this, an entire village You know, it doesn't say every single person believed, but it was many believed from the testimony of the woman. Verse 41, many more believed. This wasn't have been a very large town, would have been a very large village. Guys, this is essentially an entire village that's encountering Jesus Christ. And don't miss the fact, these were people that had been overlooked, pushed down, oppressed by the Jewish people because they were wrong. They they, they didn't have the right theology. They didn't have the right practice. They were dirty in the eyes of the ceremonial clean. This is the people that Jesus went to. And so they come to faith in Jesus. The Samaritans are some of the very first people to find life in Jesus Christ. That thrills me. I want to jump to the application because I want to introduce you to this couple, and and here's what I'll say. What's the application for us? Inside of you and inside of me is a deeper hunger that no food can satisfy. It's a hunger for meaning and purpose. It's a hunger to live out the purpose that God puts you on this earth. And some of you know what that is. Some of you kind of, sort of, maybe think you know what it is. And many of us are not sure what that is. We might have some generalities, but we don't have specifics on what God is calling you to. And I am telling you guys, inside of each of us is this hunger for meaning and purpose, to live out what you were created for. So here's the big idea of our text. If you are a follower of Jesus, your life purpose is the same as his life purpose, which is to do the will of the Father. Now, that's a general statement but, but I don't want you to go over it too quickly to get to your specifics, because whatever God is calling you to do is part of the work that God has created humankind to do. God put us collectively as human beings on this earth to represent his image, to bring the earth to fruition, which is what gardening is all about, to fullness and, and flourishing, to love others, to represent God to them as image bearers of God, but there is something specific that he has called you to do. There's something that he's been doing in your story up till now that he says, that is what I want you to do. That's the part of the work I'm calling you to do. So part of your job as a follower of Jesus is to figure out what is the will of the Father and how do I lean into that? How do I do that for me? That's the food that will satisfy your soul meaning, purpose, connected to why God puts you here. In fact, I'd say it this way. God has been uniquely preparing you to discover and then live out the meaning and purpose of your life. And once you taste that, you'll find it's more satisfying than any food. Now, because there are like 600, 700 people in this room and more watching online and and, and there's a unique application based on this for each of you, because I don't know you, I don't know your story, you know what God's calling you to. I thought maybe the best way we could apply this is to hear an example, to, to see people and how God revealed to them over time the unique work he was calling them to. So I wanna invite Ryan and Jazira Boyette to the stage. Would you welcome them with me? So I've gotten to know Ryan and Jazira for a little while now. They've been in our body for about three years. They're part of our fellowship family, but they have an interesting and unique story. So we've invited them to share that story. And Ryan, I'm going I'm to start with you and just ask you to introduce us to your family.
1: Sure. Uh, thanks, Rob. I appreciate it. Hello, everyone. I'm Ryan Boyette. Uh, this is my wife, Jazira. And the photo shows our two kids, Eben and Kendaka.
0: They're beautiful. They were with us in the first service and uh, sat right there. And I didn't hear a peep from them, by the way, which is pretty impressive. But and surprising. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was there bribery involved in that? There adi- could have been. There yes. could have been. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Ryan, tell us, uh, let's start with you. Just tell us a little bit more about where you came from and what God's done in your life.
1: Sure. Um, so in 2002, I graduated from the University of South Florida. And I was going to be an FBI agent or a U.S. Customs agent. My dad was a police officer, and I wanted to follow in his footsteps. And so I was on that track. After graduating, I had about a year, and I went through the entire process. I got the job, and then my sister sent me a two-paragraph article about the war in Sudan. And the article was about a persecuted uh, church and a pastor in that church and a 20-year civil war that took the lives of over a million people. And I became very frustrated and angry at first um, that why, as a college graduate, I had never heard of this conflict that was going on for 20 years. And so uh, I started doing research and I, I started feeling deeply called to Sudan. Uh, God was working on my heart and I wrestled with him because I wanted that nice job and, and the life that I wanted and that white picket fence, um, but, I, but eventually when I said, okay, God, I'm, I'm ready to go, um, I found Samaritan's Purse, uh, who was working in Sudan at the time, and uh, long story short, I got the job with them. They called me one day uh, after I prayed that morning, and I got a phone call from Samaritan's Purse, and they said, when can you leave, Ryan? And I said, I'll leave tomorrow if you want me to. And they said, okay, then you got the job, because there's a guy who were medevacking out of the area because uh, he got sick, and we need someone to replace him. And I said, okay, I'm your man. And within four days of that call, I was on an old World War II DC-3 airplane of Samaritan's Purse and we we landed on this dirt runway and the the, the dust was kicking up and I was excited about entering this area of the Nuba Mountains in Sudan. And as the doors swung open, the heat hit my face. It was 115 degrees and I was like, oh no, what did I get myself into? But I immediately fell in love with the people and uh, the Nuba people are such hard working and they had been struggling for years for their freedom. Um, uh, it's 70% Muslim and the church there is, is uh, the minority, but they're so strong with such strong faith um, and, I, and I immediately fell in love with them and would, and would enjoy you know, meals all the time with them and, and work in their communities with them.
0: Tell us a little bit more about where this is. I think we have a map we can show. We're pretty familiar with South Sudan because we have global partners there, but but not in uh, Sudan itself.
1: So South Sudan and Sudan have a very similar history. Um, But as you can see from the map, in 2011, the country split. So while I was there, the country split. And where you see South Kordofan, um, that is the state where the Nuba Mountains is. Um, So, it is in Sudan, it's not in South Sudan, which makes it a little unique. Um, One is that it's still under Islamic law, Um, the government is still Islamic, Um, the the population as I said is 70% Muslim, Um, it's it's cut off from the rest of the world as the only international border now is through South Sudan, Um, but it's a very difficult place to get to. We have to go through South Sudan and drive across the international border to get there.
0: And you said something about a team that's there now and how they had to get, explain that. Yeah.
1: So we have a team, and I'll explain more about what we're, what we're doing in a bit, but um, my team was traveling there now, a team of uh, teacher trainers, and it, a drive that takes eight hours took them 17 hours, um, and they called me this morning and told me they made it through a lot of mud and water and flooding, um, but by God's grace, they made it through. That's great.
0: So you get, to South, you get to Sudan, the Nuba Mountain region, you're, you're working with Samaritan's Purse, tell us more.
1: So I, I started doing a lot of different sorts of work. Um, we did farming and we were rebuilding uh, schools that were destroyed during the war and even churches. We rebuilt 160 churches and I didn't realize at the time but God was taking me to these different villages and, and knowing so many different groups of people. And one person that um, I want to I share a story with you, because it really relates to the passage we were talking about, and uh, about my friend named Awad. So Awad is from a tribe in Nuba. Nuba has like 56 tribes. So he's from a tribe in Nuba that's almost 100% uh, Muslim. But because working with us, he was very interested in Christianity, and he was reading his Bible a lot, way more than me, actually. And he was reading it and so engaged. And I told him, I said, Howard, you probably know more about the Bible than I do now as much as you're reading it. I said, what is keeping you from becoming a believer in Christ? And he said, I fear my family. And I said, well, what do you need to see or happen for you to know that God wants you to follow him? And he says, if my father takes a Bible one day, then I will know that God is real and that I need to follow him. I said, all right, well, then let's go to your village. And so... We went to Howard's village, and we just shared a meal with his family. And as we shared that meal, we prayed over the meal, and we heard people talking over us. They had never seen someone praying over a meal before. And after the meal, I thought they were not interested in having us there again. But the elder came up to me and said, as you were praying over your food, we noticed that you're Christians, and we were wondering if you can come back to tell us about Christ. And I love that we were praying over food and they they were hungry for something else. Um, And that was so exciting for us because I came back um, two weeks later, and in Sudan when you set a meeting time, like if you say the meeting's at two, it means that meeting's actually gonna start at four. It's just Sudan time. (laughs) And I got there at two, and there were 80 people waiting for us. And it was incredible. And we went through the Bible chronologically, and we, and we showed the Jesus film, and we had a box of Arabic Bibles, and we're passing them out, and Awad standing next to me, and the last Bible in the box, his father walks up, and I hand it to his father. And then I looked at Awad like this. <laughs> and sure enough, uh, Awad gave his life to Christ that Easter Sunday, which was a week after that. Um, and, and he's an incredible friend and believer today. Um, so I continued that work and that work went on, um, for a while. And, and after seven years in Sudan, I was tired. I was very thin from not eating right, sickly, but then I met (laughs) Jazeera.
0: Right. I love the smile on your face when you said that. Then I met Jazeera. Okay, Jazeera. So now we're going to focus on you. And you grew up in this region, in Nuba, correct? Correct. Tell us about what your life was like.
2: Well, my entire life was in war. And in all rural Africa, we have normal challenges, such as having no electricity, no running water, living in a house built with mud and grass. But the war made it worse for us. And now, to speak for myself, um, when I was five years old, my dad left uh, me, my mom, and my two siblings and he went to the capital city to attend the church conference as soon as he left the war broke out and the front line was established he could not get back to us for after seven years so my mom struggled to plant the food uh, that was enough for the three of us and uh, she has to Um, work up and down looking for food but still it was not enough because there was daily bombing um, and the ground fighting and it was very challenging for her to stay in one place and uh, plant the food. So she had to leave me and my siblings to work to a different place for two weeks to look for food. As she left me, as an older child, I have to prepare, uh, prepare f- uh, to look for food for my siblings. So she spent a lot of time before she leaves teaching me how to look for uh, um, eatable grass and eatable roots um, from the tree. Um, and I decided to take that role after she left. But everybody was looking for those things. And it was really hard for me to find uh, food for my siblings. And uh, I watched my sister being very malnourished. She was six years old and she got malnourished to the point that she could not work anymore. So I was very scared thinking that she was gonna die. My mom came back after two weeks and she brought very little food. And that food was sufficient for my sister to come back to life. And that moment always uh, remind me of God's love being sufficient for all of us. In addition to that, my local school was also bombed. I lost one of my best friends in one of the bombings. And that was very hard. For me to experience that and knowing that I was still alive, I couldn't understand that. Um, my village was bombed was, uh, and burnt down um, on five different occasions. And uh, we had to live in caves for many, many uh, weeks. Sometimes it goes for months and we had to just wait until uh, something clears up and we go back to the house and we re roof the house again and we start giving. Now, I lived through that, up to that moment. And that moment told me that God was at work with me to prepare me to be who I am today.
0: Wow. So what I'm hearing is you all came from very, very different backgrounds.
1: <laughs> They're very different.
0: And yet God put you together. So... Ryan, going back to you, tell me about how you
1: met her. So in, so I arrived there when it was kind of a moment of a ceasefire and a peace, as Jazeer mentioned. And then um, when I got there, I had the opportunity to bring my parents. And so I set my mom and dad up to do a marriage conference in the local church where, where I lived in the village. And so my mom took all the women and my dad took all the men, and I needed a translator for my mom, so I put the word out and some friends of ours from Nuba introduced me to Jazeera, And Jazeera translated my mom, for my mom at a marriage conference. And then I thought uh, it would be good that I have a translator for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Jazeera and I um, got married. And we have a video that's going to show that. But soon after we got married, um, it, w- it was an amazing wedding. Um, But soon after we got married, war started again. Um, And so we have a video that's gonna explain a little bit of that and then what happened during that time.
3: A news article and his faith drew him to a war-torn corner of Sudan.
1: I just saw people that were very hardworking, resilient to years and years of conflict, and yet they were not only surviving, they were thriving.
3: Ryan Boyette worked with churches in the Nuba Mountains, building a friendship with a woman passionate about learning.
2: So um, when I first see him and I see what he was doing, um, I was in love with what he was doing. Word spread about this unique partnership. I was the first person to uh, marry the white person. Uh, So it was really, really uh, something
3: huge for everybody to see. 6,000 people flocked to the Nuba region to witness the wedding.
1: And then we got married in 2011. And literally a few months, like four months after we were married, the conflict broke out.
3: Horrific attacks destroy farms, homes, starving the people. Well, I grew up wasn't. Um, so when it started, I just said, here we go again, forcing them into caves.
1: I knew no one was going to be hearing any news about the conflict. So I thought, this is the gap that I can fill.
3: Ryan armed himself with special weapons, video cameras.
1: So we just worked really hard running from bombing to bombing front lines, caves where people were hiding.
3: Jazeera's experience with war helped Ryan. The first bombing, he started freaking out.
2: So then I felt like, okay, I have to do some kind of lessons here for him so that he can um, be able to do what he's talking
3: about. Creating Nuba reports.
1: We'd send it out uh, to the White House. We sent it out to um, the UN. We sent it to uh, international media. Um, And then people started taking notice. We saw the people around us who were dying of starvation, who were being killed, whose homes were being burned, friends of ours. And so that just made us work harder. And we brought more journalists in um, and and we got more information out.
3: And human rights conscious celebrities.
1: Yesterday, 10.30, right? 10.30 in the morning, 15 bombs hit this tiny village where everyone is hiding in the rocks.
3: But the videos made them a target.
2: We woke up in the morning and the plane came. I was seven months pregnant, and I woke
3: up in the morning to go um, to the neighbor's house. Bombs started falling. Ryan and his crew jumped into a hole, but Jazeera was down the road with no bomb shelter. At seven months pregnant, she dove behind a rock. Her dog lay on top of her crying.
2: God sent me for that reason, um, for the reason of something that i still am trying to find out what why i was still alive up to
3: now those videos gave power to overthrow sudan's dictator creating a temporary peace
0: Well, there's a lot in that i i want to follow up on two things one is you you came working for samaritan's purse and then now you're doing nuba reports tell tell us about that transition
1: Yeah, so we had a very pivotal moment where we had to make a big decision um, for for our family. Um, The war was coming, and we could see that happening. And right before it started, there were several organizations in the region. They all evacuated their staff, um, and Samaritan's Purse included. And we had had quite a big staff. And so uh, Jazir and I thought about it. And I thought about the people in that village, Howard's Village and other villages that we talked to about no fear but Christ, and salvation through Christ, and yet we were so quick to get on a plane and leave. And personally, I was the one telling people this, and I, I felt like it would be hypocritical of me to do that. And Jazeera felt the same. And so we talked about it and prayed about it, and we decided to stay, and I resigned from Samaritan's Purse, and that's when we started Nuba Reports at that time.
0: And Jazeera, for you, each time I watch that video, I'm just gripped by that story of you hiding in the, the rock pregnant with the bomb. Uh, Tell us more about that moment for you.
2: Yeah, even though I had experience of uh, being bombed before, that was a very um, challenging moment for me and also different. I felt different and I felt um, that something is really harder for me to accept that uh, bombing at that moment because um, in the past, if I would have died, I would die alone. But I would now die this time um, with my baby. And that was really um, a disturbing moment. So when I lay down uh, behind a rock, I remember these words. I said, do it again. And I wanted God to protect, protect me one more time. Um, and when I lay down, The I heard the sound coming and I felt like the bomb was going to land on me, but it landed 25 yards away from me. And a huge shrapnel flew over me and hit the rock and ricocheted that rock that was in front of me. And then I got up, nothing happened to me. I started running towards our house and uh, I remember that I didn't need Um, a bomb shelter, which I normally fail, said that I have that bombing uh, shelter at the house that I can get into it, but I was very vulnerable at the neighbor's house when I didn't have that bombing shelter, but I didn't need one because God was my shelter during that time. And um, again, finding myself alive during that time with that baby in me, I was like, okay, He's not finished with me yet.
0: Amen. Ryan, uh, at, at the end of that video, it talks about a temporary peace. Your, the work that you all had done with those new reports had something to do with that. Tell us how that felt that your work was having an impact and then, and then tell us what happened after that.
1: Sure. So, when I, um, while I was in Nuba and we were entrenched and like war was around us and we're getting these videos out, I was really entrenched in the work. And I didn't real I didn't see the impacts that it was having around us. But what was taking place was that it was, these videos were informing people all over the country what was happening in their own country and they, many Sudanese never even saw uh, what was, the war that was taking place. And so they protested, and as you see, over through the dictator, um, which created this temporary peace, a time that we call no war, no peace. So there's no bombing and fighting, but there still isn't the, the benefits of peace. Um, so Jazeera and I thought that that would be a good time to come out of uh, Sudan, and uh, we started an organization called To Move Mountains. We always saw that the media work was temporary, and we were being called to help people with um, education. And so, Jazira's story and her struggle for education was a big motivation of that, and seeing people in their villages that actually had some opportunity to get an education have such an impact. Um, but I really love that when you ask people, why do you need education? The first thing they would say is, this is our weapon against oppression and, and being attacked by our government. And I, and I love that connection between as we gain wisdom and knowledge of Christ through his word and as we get close to him, that that's freedom from our sin and our oppression and sin. And so we connected that, that purpose and we started to move mountains.
0: I love it. Uh, we have a, another video that we'll show that explains more about what to move mountains is doing in Sudan.
1: Sudan has been at war for over 30 years, and the Sudan government bombs villages, churches, schools, and hospitals. Its wars have caused a great lack of opportunity students are willing to walk hours and hours to come to a school made of rock and grass sitting on stones and logs as they learn english and math
2: if there's a bombardment the children have to run down the dark holes there's problem of uh, children to learn they have developed kind of trauma Never
1: been before. as they enter this new moment in their life i pray that they realize the opportunity they have and they make the most of it for your glory we love you lord and we pray these things in your name Amen. education battles lack of opportunity it battles lack of development and in turn curbs things like immigration and extremism it allows people to think for themselves and develop themselves
2: When I came to Uganda to study, I realized that education is one of the basic human rights. Everyone deserves to get education. The world is not something very small or confined. The world is very wide and you have to learn what is also taking place all over. When I was in Nuba, I didn't know God answers prayers. God answers prayers.
1: We want to build a robust education system, a new curriculum, new teaching methods. We want to build it from the ground up and let it be something that lasts very long term. And we hope that this will help the people of Nuba and Sudan get out of war and find other solutions to their problems. What's good about this school? What do you wish was better? What other things are important for students to learn in school? What skills and knowledge does somebody need in order to learn?
3: too often people come in with solutions to problems that they have never experienced and often those solutions fail because they weren't created by the
2: people who have to live them
1: it's getting that voice of the nuba people to tell us what's important and what they want to get from it
2: we want our child to be associated with this identity and his language. Who knows the values of Nuba people? We want to help him to have the
1: spirit of cooperation with others.
3: Anything else?
0: I love that. I love what God has put on your heart. And you were telling me the work continues even while you have been here. Tell us why you guys came back to the United States or why you came back and you came here.
1: So we came um, back to the US uh, because we knew that this is the work that God wanted us to do. Um, and, but we, we didn't have a background in education So we wanted to go back to school, and that was Jazeera's biggest dream to finish university. And so through divine intervention, um, we were accepted at Vanderbilt University, Jazeera with a full-ride scholarship, where she's making A's. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so we got... uh, we got the knowledge and wisdom about how to do education right because we are serving Christ and we wanted to do it in a right way. And so we pulled a team together, an amazing team, and some of them are in Sudan right now, and we're building this uh, a new curriculum, um, training teachers, and we got a little bit of funding to, to build the first phase of our, our first school. And so that's the work that's going on. But I want to say all of that, everything that has happened in our past, God has, has done step by step, led us to that point because... There's no way we could do this work in an area like that with tremendous trust from the people. And so it's very clear to us that that where he's leading us.
0: And you're gonna go back. We'll talk more about your next steps in a minute. But he's brought you here for training and education and then he is sending you back to do the work. Now, I have to ask you this question, Jazeera. What has life been like for you here in the US?
2: Our life has been great. (laughs) <laughs> um, I've been spoiled, but at the same time in a great way, I think, um, because everything is done with a button. You make coffee with a button, you wash your clothes with a button, you, um, you cook with a button, you wash your dishes with a button, so it's pretty much... Um, like that, and it's very easy um, to be spoiled here in America. But at the same time, um, there are great things that contributed to my, uh, um, my growth in faith. Um, so here I noticed some differences that contributed to my, uh, uh, my growth in, in God. Uh, it's, it's about the, the worship. The worship is different here versus in my place. Here, I feel the worship more like um, having relationship with God, uh, feeling that closeness with God. Uh, and it is great to have that experience. Uh, while in my place, we worship more like we're worshiping the king. Um, you dance to the point that, that is all over um, your hair, all over you. Um, and it's like, almost like uh, an army marching um, and it, it was different that way. Um, so, but when I came and experienced this kind of worship, I felt privileged because God is all that. And for me to put that together, it really um, helped me to grow more in God.
0: Very well said. He, he is among us and he is king. He is both. I love that. Uh, it's been a privilege that we have had a chance to have you here in our body for a few years, knowing that you're going to be going back. So, so Ryan, tell us about what happens next for you all.
1: Yeah, so as soon as Jazeera graduates university in May of next year, then we will travel back in June of next year uh, to Sudan and we'll live there full time. Um, between now and then, I'll be going back two times to keep our work going, uh, get our house prepared, but we will be moving back as a family indefinitely and continuing our work there.
0: Well, we're excited about what God has called you to do. And, and in a minute, I'm going to give Ryan a chance to tell you about how you can stay connected with them and, and be a part of what they're doing. But first, I want to make a connection to the message earlier. You know, the big idea is, is this idea that Our work, our calling, the food that that we're deeply hungry for is the same purpose that Jesus had on earth, to do the work of the Father. And the question is, what is the work of the Father that he's called you to? What's interesting about their story is they didn't know what it was. It's been a slow revelation over time. Ryan didn't go to Sudan knowing he was going to stay there the rest of his life, marry Jazeera have a Sudanese family. He didn't know that. God revealed that progressively over time. They didn't know when the bombs were dropping, what was gonna come out of that was to move mountains. You know, they didn't know when they came here, the church home he would lead them to. God works in our lives that way. So you may be sitting here saying, well, their story is amazing. It's fantastic. And it is, but I don't know what that means for me. Here's where I wanna encourage you to start this morning. Start with openness. That's all you can do. Ryan had openness to what God would do. He got on that airplane and got off with 115 degree heat and he was just open to God using him. Jazeera had openness when, when God brought the white person into the village. Jazeera had openness and look what God has done. We just need to start with openness. And so that's what I want to pray for us and, and really lean into this morning is we just be open to God leading and bringing things and people and events into our lives all the time thinking, God, what is the work of you've called me to? What is the work that you've called me to? So I want to invite the band out. We're going to worship one more song together. While they're coming out, Ryan, tell us how we can stay connected with you guys.
1: Sure. Um, so th- thank you, everyone, for listening to our story today. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to our website, uh, tomovemountains.org. Um, it looks like it's, it's on the screen here. You can follow us on social media. We post a lot of updates there. You can email us. Um, Jazir and I will be down front. We'd love to meet you. Uh, We also have this pamphlet that's at the front doors that you can get that tells this same information, but also we're inviting all of you to our first ever event at the Loveless Barn on December 16th at 7 p.m. Um, And we want to tell more of these stories with some live music, and we'd love to have you there. But thank you so much.
0: And let let me also add this. You can clap first. (laughs) Our hope is once they go back, we would love to take some short-term trips of people here from our body. So if that's something that sounds like what you'd be interested in, make sure you mention that to them and and we want to get your contact information for that as as well. It's been a privilege to be your church home during this time. I know you're not leaving yet, but I just want to say that now. What a joy it's been to have you with us in these few years and we love what God is calling you to. Let me pray for them and after I pray, we're going to worship together. Father, thank you for the joy of knowing the Boyette family. Thank you for the work you're doing in their lives. Thank you for the openness that they have had throughout their lives, um, openness, faith, courage, all those things that you've blessed them with. And I pray it would not just be an inspiration to us, but there would also walking out of here be, it be an imitation that we would be open we just say, God, I don't know exactly what you'd call me to, but I sure am open. I want to do it. And, and for those that have more clarity on what you've called them to, may they lean in and may this service encourage them that, that you're speaking through them this morning to reinforce that calling. And for those that have no idea, may they be open and willing to start asking the question, what is the work the Father has called me to? And may we all be about that. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.
2: Amen.